Hey everybody, it's Luke from Trade Secrets. I just wanted to let you know that the audio quality on this episode isn't quite as good as it normally is. The recording kit that we use, instead of recording through our individual mics, decided to record through its onboard mic, so it sounds pretty echoey like we just dumped a microphone in the middle of us while we were all talking. Anyway, aside from that minor hiccup, the rest of the episode is great. We talk about Warren Ellis and John Cassidy's Planetary, so I hope you guys enjoy episode 50 of Trade Secrets. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Burn it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 50 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. Episode 50 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. Our two-year anniversary, and uh, we are we are we have finally gotten around to doing uh, a mega episode about Planetary. Warren Ellis, uh, John Cassidy, edited, for those of you who, uh, who know comic books and know the stuff that we like, by John Lehman, oddly enough. Um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't know that? Wow, no, I didn't. Yeah, whole thing's edited by John Lehman. Um, what? It, it's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will get to talking about uh, uh, Planetary later in the show, but for now, we unfortunately we are missing uh, Eddie, so um, he wasn't able to make it to the recording this time, so we will start with Andy. Hi, Andy. How you doing? How's it going, going, Luke? Don't. Just don't. (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, So, actually, uh, in my search to find my two absolute copies (laughs) from when I moved eight months ago, I stumbled across my three hardcover volumes of Hellboy and reread all of those. Yeah. Um, Fuck, those things are good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. I am... So, I had this weird thing with a couple of series, Hellboy specifically, where I won't read it for a couple of years, and then I'll go back and I'll read the whole thing. And, of course, every time that I do it, there's a few more volumes. And I'm just, I don't know why, but every time I'm just completely fucking astounded by how solid that story is. Mm-hmm, Mike mm-hmm, Magnolia? Mm-hmm. Mignolia. Mignolia. Uh, like, he has just mastered the craft of that specific, I don't even know how to say genre, but that story that he's telling just gets better and better, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. ratchets up so much. Yeah. And if you read, like, the first two or three stories, I, would, I don't think anyone could have ever possibly expected that from that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, you know... Demon guy with a big fist. Okay, cool. Yep. And it's turned into the, like almost literature. It, yeah. It's gotten to that point. <laughs> almost literature. <laughs> <laughs> Comic books can't be literature. I don't know what I the fuck you're talking cut about. Everyone here, badly. Throat chops and stabs for everyone. And what are you been reading? Uh, I got my PDF of uh, my advance copy of anything that loves, which is. Subtitled Comics Beyond Gay and Straight. It is out from Northwest Press, and it's a it's an anthology of short comics that are all sort of surrounding like gay straight option C. They're all surrounding option C. Um, it came out of a panel at some con or other. Is that pansexual? Well, that's one option. Demisexual. Oh man, demisexual needs to be a thing. I think it is. Demi indicates more than two. Uh huh. Uh-huh. There are more than two. So, yeah. Isn't, isn't no, not just bi. Bi would indicate two. Okay. Oh, you think and, and there's actually a lot of discussion. Transgender, about yeah, that would kind of be a third option. Sort of. Talking into the themselves. side of the mic means we can't hear you. Just so you know. I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. 
or people that consider themselves third gender or just like fuck gender or whatever. Uh, anyway, some of the some of the material in it I'd seen before, like Erica Moen's comics about queer as an umbrella term, and um, she's dealt with a lot of like she identified as lesbian for a long time and exclusively dated women, and then fell in love with a dude and married him, and got a whole bunch of blowback from right. I remember hearing the, about that. the queer community. And on the other half, there's a lot of um, comics about bisexual or otherwise. Uh, men who have dealt with the thing from like the straight community is like, have you had sex with a man even once? You are gay. And from the gay community being like, well, are you a gold star gay? Have you never had sex with a woman? So basically, it, it talked a lot about like how policing people's sexual identities and gender is bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of compelling stuff in there um, from a wide variety of talented peeps. Cool. Wow. I'm, uh, no, honestly, I'm no, wow, I didn't even know what that was. Wow. How are you doing? Really? Wow. <clears throat> cool story, bro. Cool story, bro. <laughs> also, I you got... Think, I mean, well, honestly, you would think that uh, the gay lesbian community, that they wouldn't care who you have sex with. Or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know? still, even in that community, they, they still have... Everybody wants to be a gatekeeper. Yes. Exactly, and that's what it is. Yeah. There's one comic from a guy that identifies as gay, and really, he's like, look, I really do only date men. It's just, because he also has had several relationships with trans trans men, he says, it's just that some of the men I date have vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually the new frontier, is gender, as opposed to sex. Because there's, there's the whole blowback about the dick wolves and packs and whatnot. Well, Which okay, is to a be honest, whole other thing. Yeah, the Dick Wolves is a whole other thing. Yeah, the one, the one thing. where, okay, so the one where, um, was it Gabe, I think, just all he, he, the comment was he made was, um, if you, if you have a vagina, I'm going to call you a woman. And that's what, that was all he said. And he was like, he was just like, cause he, his thing is just like, he was, he was making a comment about biological gender. Yes. Um, yes. and wasn't necessarily like, he was like, call yourself whatever you want. You can gender identify however you want. But yeah. his, his, his comment was, if you have a vagina, I think of you as a woman because he associates biological. And to me, it was a pretty innocuous comment because whatever who, who the fuck cares what this cartoonist thinks and he got he got railed I know railed for it crazy like for it. like way beyond the seriousness of his comment which I think it would have been nicer if there had been more of an effort to like educate and tell personal stories of like hey do you see me and how like I'm a hairy dude I happen to have a vagina because I'm trans or whatnot. Sure. Like, and yet, since my gender presentation is male and I identify as male, I'd appreciate it if you called me. Like, people could have gone that route instead of the... Everyone's an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) And And it gets to the point where everything you have, everything that you say has to have a footnote to it. And then, oh, I need to educate people. Okay, let's stop this conversation. And I've heard a lot of trans people that are like, fuck having to educate people. This is my reality. Fuck them, which yeah. I also can empathize with. It's all a matter of how you approach it, right? Like, okay, so a personal mm-hmm. example from my life. Um, I have a friend that I met at PAX several years ago. Um, when I met him, his name was Brad. Since then, 
uh, he's trans, has has now he gender gender she gender identifies as a woman, changed her name to Taryn, um, still biologically male, gender identifies female, wants to be addressed as female. Um, took me, still takes me a minute because because I knew Brad right right. Um, when I'm around her, I still make them... Like, I saw her in Vegas. Uh, when I went down to Vegas, we hung out. And twice that night used, you know, male gender identifiers, and she had to correct me. And um, in that instance, though, it's like... She just like... Her. Dude. Her. Right? And that's all it is. That was the entire conversation. Like, yeah. I make the mistake. I say him around Taryn because I knew... Brad, right? I knew mm-hmm. that person when he was n- had not come out as trans, and there's a mental switch that has to happen in those instances. And in my case, I don't give a shit, right? I don't care. It takes me a minute for my brain to process the fact, and she yeah. doesn't care. She's like, she makes fun of me for it, yeah. and that's the kind of relationship. I that's the way it should be, right? It should be like for, well, for a friendship, right? Yeah, yeah. but there's always going to be people with it that. On their sleeve, you know, as yeah. a badge, they wear right. that as a badge. Like, well, you got to be correct. You Which know? makes but sense. That's, the, that's a huge thing that impacts your life every day. Yeah. To some degree, I see that, but there's a point where, um, where, just like you have to deal with the world around you. Just, Sometimes they're going to make mistakes. Exactly. Just like people have to be, or don't, I don't say have to be. Just like people should be tolerant of everyone else's lifestyle choices. The people who make those lifestyle choices need to be tolerant of other people adjusting to them, yep. especially in instances where I'm I, I'm really afraid to use the word "not normal" because that's terrible. That's not what I mean. Non-standard. But non-standard doesn't non, like, have huge privilege. It's not about privilege. It's about it is absolutely about in, not not what I'm talking about. It okay. isn't. I'm not talking about rights and privilege and all that. I'm just simply talking about. Um, the mental adjustment of, of entire societies that grow up with with gender separation being a specific thing. I, personally, and I can only speak from my own experience, I can say, I don't give a shit about your gender identification. I You, you make whatever choice you need to make. You feel however you're going to feel. You be however you want to be. My brain takes some adjustment because I wasn't raised around it. And that's the way everyone is. Like, if you're not raised around it, you have to adjust to it. Yeah. And that adjustment requires some tolerance on the part of the people who are making those choices. And I lives. think that's that's totally fair with your friends, but it's weird when, like, no major news media will report about Chelsea Manning referring to her with a female pronoun. Well, that's been... What fourteen hours since yeah. he said that? <laughs> so, it's I mean, it's just like there's sort of a society-wide not really wanting to adjust. And sure. I totally get it on an individual level, on a personal level. When you're when you're dealing with friends or trans, depending on your own background, you'll have a you'll you know you'll have a level of culture shock. But mm-hmm. I can understand it being really frustrating that like society has like a fifty-year culture shock uh, starting this year <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, so while on any other episode, I would be fucking enthralled with this conversation and think it's amazing. Yeah. We have other shit to talk about. We have all the time in the world. I have, I've had to wait for almost a year in order to talk about this book. Oh, my God. 
What have you been reading, Joel? Uh, boom! Pip! Bow! I've been reading Captain America. The new yeah. one with Remender? Yeah, with Remender. Yeah. And it's actually pretty good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of funny that Remender can't deal with like normal, normal yeah, dimensions that as soon as <laughs> Dimension Z is done, he hands it over to um, uh, Layman? No. Hickman? Is, who's writing, no, who's writing the, new, the new Captain America? I don't know. I thought Remender was still on it. No, yeah. he's done. Oh, is yeah, he? Okay. Well, good. Then I'm done with that book. Yeah, yep. exactly. So it, as soon as he's done with Dimensions, he's like, I gotta write in the new world? Uh, okay, I'm done. Can I ever tell um, you guys about when I saw him at ECCC? This was... Mm-hmm. Who, Remender? Uh, yeah. yeah. I just walked up to him like, excuse me, are you Rick Remender? He's like, yeah. I'm like, can I give you a high five? <laughs> nice. <laughs> no autograph or anything? No autograph. Just a high five. Just a high five. Uh, I'm gonna go lick my hand in the bathroom alone. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> I am not gonna wash this. I got my uh, I got my Fear Agent omnibus signed by him last UCCC. I nice. could not remember the title of Fear Agent yesterday. I was trying to recommend it to someone. <laughs> I'm like, it's by that guy who wrote that book. It's got a cowboy from space and he's, he's drunk all the time. Helmet. He accidentally genocided a planet. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. Wait until my brain flatulates. Yeah, I um, go ahead. Uh, just it was it was pretty good, and um, I kind of funny how they. For the whole time, they... Oh, whoa, brain, real brain fart. It, it was kind of funny how they had the little kid from Zola, who, mm-hmm. who Captain America decided to have uh, as a, like a daddy issue with him. He's like, I'm raising this kid in the hardness of Dimension Z. And, and Captain America really can't have a kid himself. So this is the one time where the storyline is he can be a father. Um, okay. I can't find... I can't find anything on the interwebs about uh, who's taking over for Rick Remender. Give it 30 minutes and all of a sudden it'll come to me and I'll blow yeah, it Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, Captain America's really good. Yeah. Read it. Um, I am literally, I'm literally dumping that book the moment I'm, I'm not getting Remender's writing on it anymore, though. Because it's just like, I am not a Cap fan. Mm. I bought the book specifically because Remender was writing it, and I liked the Dimension Z storyline, and I liked it because it was a non-standard Cap storyline, and if it goes back to the real world, I'm just just not interested. Okay, so you've read it. How it begins where he's trying to save... He's trying to save the plane. Oh, right, yeah, that's right. No, the plane is going down, he's beat up the green hippie who's trying to take over the world. Not with the green hippie. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a hippie who's trying to turn people into plants. And Shit, that's Captain Planet? Yeah. Yeah. Don Cheadle's Captain Planet? <laughs> Heart! Tree! Tree! Um, Recycle or I'll turn yeah. you guys into a tree, bitch. And then, and then all of a sudden he he parachutes out of it and lands in the middle of where this lady is and, and he yeah. has some... Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great scene which is great for Remender because it's a lot like what Fear agent was where mm-hmm. he's, he's really quippy, what's, and what's I, black science. Thank you. Yep, I I enjoyed it. Black science, black science, black science. I'm going to say it a billion times because it's fucking Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera being awesome. Black science. So for the love of God, listeners at home, if you've learned anything from us rambling for hours on end, that probably about hundred hours at this point, follow fucking writers. Don't follow books. Mm-hmm. If That's you right. like what someone's done on one book, I promise you, you're most likely going to like what they've done on other books. Speaking of, that's actually, a, that's a great segue, Andy. Uh, I was going to talk about the new X-Men book, Brian Wood's X-Men book. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not so good. Oh. It's really, um, it's super disappointing. That is, because I, I like Brian Wood's work. I general. love every, almost every Brian Wood independent thing that he's done. Mm. Phenomenal. Like uh, I've good? read part of it and I liked it. Okay. I didn't, um, demo, he did, he did DMZ, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Local and The Massive, which is one of my favorite comic books right now. Except um, for that fucking gun Northlanders panel where the yeah, well, the clip okay, well, <laughs> and Northlanders, yes, uh, and then uh, the even his Conan book, which technically it's not his creation. He's he did he's doing phenomenal. Is that published by though? The Dark Horse. So do you think that like the Marvel machine is crushing his spirit? Nope. No, I just think that um, he didn't have a solid idea. Of, they mm. he was like, I'm going to do an X Men book. It's all got the girls. And you gotta have a plot with that. The man. first three issues, like the bad guy, just kind of comes out of nowhere. He's oh. like no, he's nothing that anybody knows, and the whole storyline wraps up in three issues. So he doesn't even get like the length to do something good with it. And then fucking uh, the artist is already changing on the book. Three oh. issues, and the artist is out, and it's it was just it was just fucking boring. It was that just sucks. boring. I feel like having concept teams or issues or storylines surrounding women because we realize that perhaps there should be more female characters is not enough. We have to have quality fucking storytelling about yeah. women in order for yes. female characters to exist. Yeah. Which is what Rucka does. Ta-da! Yeah. Right? Whiteout and... Lazarus. Oh, what the fuck is The one in Portland. Stumptown. Stumptown. Stumptown's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenally good book. Um, yeah, I just... And Brian Wood can do it. Like, look at local. No, absolutely. Brian Brian Wood is a great writer, and I love 90% of what he does, but the X-Men book... And I've heard that his Star Wars book is phenomenally good, too. Oh, yeah. Um, but this one just felt completely flat. That sucks. And it's kind of the same way... It's happened with Cullen Bunn a couple times, too. Yeah. Like, um, So, like, let, me, uh, let me go on a tangent for a second before you mention Cullen Bunn. I think that to a certain extent, a lot of the Marvel properties are getting to the point that the DC properties have been at, where um, you've got these characters who have been around for, you know, I guess 30 years roughly is the point where you can't develop the characters anymore because everything has been done with them. Well, yeah. Jubilee's a vampire! If the, if, We're done here! If the uh, characters never age, they're also, they never also seem to learn, they, which they, is... They never develop. Um, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, it really. What's disappointing to me is that now that Remender's off Cap, and now that I found out that X Men's just no good, I will literally not be getting any Marvel books anymore. But, and that Andy, thank you very much. I think, and I I have to check my sources here, but that's the new writer for Captain America. Brian Wood. No. Remender. Colin Bunn. Oh, Colin, oh, Colin Bunn. Oh. Hmm. Colin. Huh? Well, that's because he's also Venom is ending. So Which fucking kills me. That book is solid. Yeah, um, but like, like I've read some of Cullen Bunn's uh, DC work. Like his Superman Batman run was just meh, and uh, I think he did really well for the, what he had to work with. Yeah, it's I, okay. I, I hate Superman. I hate Superman. Yeah. He's boring. I think me. He's so boring. He would be an interesting character to write. For because he is so boring and shitty, and I would, as a writer, if I were assigned a Superman story, I would have a huge challenge in terms of like pulling out something that's actually interesting or compelling. The problem is that the Superman fans rail against anything that makes him interesting. Damn it! Right? That's t- 
to be honest, that's one of the things that people are railing against Man of Steel. Because um. they... Now, I'm not saying Man of Steel is a good movie. I haven't really seen... I've, I've seen about 20 minutes of it. It's terrible. Um, a lot of people think it's terrible. But the other thing is that... Like... They 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 modernize and by modernize I mean they you know they, they gritty it up they shittify it that is the word you're looking for so okay anyway well so, I'm not going to get on the subject of Superman because we've talked about that subject to please, fucking please death. can we go talk about just stuff relax because there's other things that need to be talked about here there's two things specifically that need to be talked about here first of all Planetary Volume One if I haven't talked about it have I talked about Wild Blue Yonder on the show before no. no everybody should be reading Wild Blue Yonder. Wild Blue Yonder is a Kickstarter book that is written by Mike Raked, who's the guy that did Stuff of Legend, and Stuff it's of Legend's amazing. Yeah, and it's drawn by Zach Howard, who is the guy who drew the Cape and the Cape 1969, and he did no, that's, no, Mike, Norton. that's Mike Norton. Um, Mike Raked's art or uh, Zach Howard's art is absolutely amazing. It is it is some of the best, some of my favorite art right now. It's just really really good. He's got a little bit of a little bit of Tony Moore in his style. <laughs> Um, and this book is basically, it's like... Dead air, that's what the, the listeners it's, love. It's like Waterworld meets Tailspin. Okay. It's a post-apocalyptic world with a crazy, the, the premise is a little crazy because it's basically like the surface of the earth is so polluted that people have taken to airships um, to get above the pollution so that they don't die of, of the polluted earth. Um, so the whole thing centers around... Uh, fleets of airships and like little independent airships. So in this in, in this case, there's a little bit of Firefly because it centers around an independent airship called the Dawn that um, has its a little fleet of like fighter jets um, that help protect it, and these guys who uh, ride on jetpacks to uh, to protect it as well. And it's uh, and they get followed and attacked by a one of the major, like, evil fleets. A lion? A lion who flies a plane? Or maybe some jackals? <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, it, but it's, saves the world. It really, is, it really is a phenomenal book, and I think everybody should read it. Do you want, do you want me to just, like, let you go? Like, you, I can just put my mic down, you can talk about Planetary for an hour, we have a show. I don't think it would be just an hour. However, I think it would be really boring for the listeners to hear me being like, okay, this is why this is amazing, and just, <laughs> just fucking go. So, than planetary masturbation hour, let's have planetary <laughs> orgy. Yeah. So for the last week... <laughs> too much of a sausage fest for me. Uh, so we have been reading Planetary. Planetary... Uh, started publication in 2001, and it ran for two years. It's a grand total of 24 issues? 24 26. or 26 issues? 26 issues. Um, started in 2001, ran pretty so, pretty solid to 2003, and then went into publication hell. And yeah. it took, for the last seven issues to come out, it took almost six years. 27. Um, 27, okay, yeah. So for the last six or, se- or for the last seven issues, it took... Uh, almost six years. Last hmm. issue came out in 2009. Um, I probably read it through to what was published when I first read it, and then the rest of it and came then out. There was a break, and then, yeah. I had the same problem with um, uh, Rising Stars when it mm. came out, Straczynski's book, because it, it had, he published the first two trades, which would have been 16 issues worth, and then got into a legal battle with DC over <clears> it, <throat> and it 
um, it hovered for three or four years before the last part of the story got published. So, um, uh, similar issue, except I don't think this was legal issues. I think this was just Warren Ellis all of a sudden getting famous and writing everything on the planet. Well, it was both a combination of Warren Ellis becoming incredibly popular and John Cassidy getting yeah. a bunch of yeah. work because of his work on Planetary. Yeah. The combination of those two factors, along with the fact that... Um, like, basically, everyone who worked on this book sort of exploded at one point or another, and for the majority of them, it was right after issue 13. Mm-hmm. So then you have your six-year hiatus where everyone is doing a bunch of stuff, and you can't blame them because this was, you know, this was, it started out as a very small book, and it was owned by Wildstorm and then DC because DC bought Wildstorm. Uh, they weren't making that much money off of it. And if you're a writer or an artist who's working in comic books, and all of a sudden someone's like, I'm going to give you a fat fucking check to work on this book. <laughs> right? Make money, money, make money, money, yeah. money. <laughs> I mean, Lehman is the one person who didn't really explode until many, many years after this was over. Well, he was an editor for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he was an editor thing. for a long time, but his, his uh, one sort of book that he was the writer for originally was a Marvel book. And, you know, that went like three or four issues, and it got canceled. That's sort of the fact you have to live with as a writer who is not, you know, a, um, a Matt Fraction, a Warren Ellis now, uh, Neil Gaiman. Like, you, it's not necessarily a paycheck to paycheck, but you can't, you know, know, like six months down the road, you don't know if you're going to be writing any stories. Sure. Because all of a sudden, you, you might not be the new hotness. And Well, especially in the early to mid-2000s, like, it was, oh God, yeah. it was ridiculous. Like... In you know in the '90s there was an explosion and it was all artist centric. So an artist could pretty much be guaranteed uh, a you know a week to week paycheck on books on books that were otherwise just garbage. Yep. Um, could, and then you could make entire lines. Yeah. And then uh, and then that fell apart in the late '90s. And then uh, the Ultimate books came out and people realized, wait a minute, we're all the same creative team all the time, and good writers, and we can do what's going on here, and then, you know. So guys, let me uh, ask you a question real quick. There are so many different ways that I want to rave about this book. Do, do I talk about first what it influenced, or do I talk about, you know, why I consider it the best comic book? It's not my favorite, but it's, in my opinion, the best comic book. And there's a very I'm gonna... significant distinction between those two. I, mean, there's... I have a suggestion. So I, was, I actually read the like introduction to this book and these books, and the introduction to the first trade is I think it's Alan Moore mm-hmm, talking mm-hmm. about sort of the it came out right at the turn of the millennium, right? So he's talking about the like nice Janus like perspective, and I feel like it might make sense to talk about sort of where this book came from and then what it influenced. Before we get into that, I want to talk on about something a lot more superficial than that. Um, because there's a lot of there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the story and the writing and the and the plotline of this and like the influences before and after. Um, I want to talk about John Cassidy for a minute because uh, so we start with the art. My first introduction to Cassidy's art was Astonishing X Men, and Astonishing X Men is mostly phenomenal through his run through him and Joss Whedon. Um, really, really good art. Really introduced me to Cassidy's style, which is it's kind of this strange, like, um, enhanced reality style. Like it's, it's, there's, he's, he tries to almost go photorealistic, but it's not quite, you know, he's has this like comic-y edge to it. Um, you go back in planetary and, uh, the style actually shifts quite a bit because there'll be different stories that require different, um, 
like different artistic notes. His art in Planetary is is spectacular. It's some of his best, in my opinion. I think better in some ways than even than even um, it is his best work. Uh, even than than Astonishing X Men. I think there are parts of Astonishing that I, I think are better because he had evolved just a little bit. He is the only artist that I've ever seen just continually get worse. Be Frank Miller really. Except for Frank Miller, so gets worse without going insane. I think I think that um, was a mental breakdown, not an art style change. Yeah, um, and it's amazing because he's so good in these books. And then fast forward, and the reason I bring this up was because of Uncanny Avengers. Um, Uncanny Avengers was a book that I bought specifically because of Cassidy's art. It was Cassidy Remender was writing it, and Cassidy was drawing it. And I thought to myself, this was, a, one of the, this was one of the big Marvel Now announcements, and I was like, holy fucking A. Rick Remender and John Cassidy on the same book might actually make uh, X-Men and Avengers interesting to me. One, it was a stumble for Remender. Wasn't the greatest story in the world. And was the laziest, just... The art was just not good, and it was it was like you could tell it was Cassidy, but he like it, it was like melty faced bad anatomy version of Cassidy. It was like somebody, yeah, it just it just didn't work, and it, it's really disappointing because Cassidy honestly is some of the best art I've I've ever seen, and it's a it was amazing because I contacted um, I contacted his art broker trying to ask him about some some panels or some pages from Astonishing X-Men. Um, and the page that I asked him about was long gone by the time I... I mean, it was probably gone before it ever got published because it was the... There is a really good two-page splash uh, um, cannonball... Cannonball special? What the fuck's it called? Yeah, fastball special. Fastball special, thank you. Colossus um, throwing Wolverine. Colossus throwing Wolverine. Amazing panel. I wanted it. I was like... And he's like, oh yeah, that's been gone for years. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I figured. And then I was like, how much? How much would it have been if I had, uh, if I, if it had been available? And he said, well, it sold for twelve thousand dollars. And I was like, yeah. So, so um, if I could have one piece of Cassidy art from Planetary, it would be the picture of Elijah Snow, the cover of Elijah Snow pulling the puzzle piece out of his chest. That would be. Oh, yeah. I would kill to have that that original. Actually, I like my one page out of here that I would really want is Ambrose coming back. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Fuck. Uh, spoilers. So many spoilers. So many spoilers. So many spoilers. So, all, from this point forward, spoilers. I'm just going to tell everybody listening to the show: if you have not read Planetary up till this point, you need to just shut this show off, read the book, come back, and listen to the show because it's totally worth we're your going. Time. It's yeah. totally worth your time, and we are going. Okay. So I said that I said this before, and Eddie ra- Eddie ragged on me for it. So, just for the sake of our readers or our listeners, let's do bye, borrow, burn right now. Bye, 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 bye. 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 Yeah, bye. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so actually, it is. I would say if you have not read comics before, borrow this, and then you want to read all the comics, and your money's gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I want to. So as a side note, Andy, before I'll you go start, um, when I. I've been in comics, and when I came, I was out of it for a good ten years, because I, I read in the early 90s, 
<clears throat> before the the whole bust and everything mm-hmm. in life. And so I got back into it. Andy, I met Andy at work. He's like, "Hey, you like comics here? Have read this." And he gave me the absolute edition of of Planetary, which mm-hmm. amazing. Just the fact that I had it all there, I didn't have to deal with all the bullshit mm-hmm. of everything afterwards. And I'm reading it, and I'm kind of getting glimpse glimpses of the different stories. Like, oh, okay, he's he's doing that here and that there. And it was a really great story, but I didn't realize all the callbacks that he was doing for all, everything throughout the history of comics mm-hmm. that he was calling back to. It's and a love letter to the 20th century. Seriously, it is. Can I, can I? Yeah, and that's what Snow is. And so now that I look through it again, I, I'm starting to like, oh, that's what he was exactly doing there, because I didn't exactly see a reference right. of what he was, do, he was calling back to. And now after reading more comic books, I, I read this now. I was like, oh, okay, god yeah. damn it, he's calling back into that. Yeah. So it's so before because I know you're going to go into spoiler territory. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do one more warning. We all we all buy. It's a, it's a solid four person buy. I'm sure if Eddie were here and had read it, he'd probably say buy too. But I'm not going to speak for him because he got pissed at me for doing it last yeah. week. Uh, solid four person buy. At this point, stop the show. Go buy it or borrow it. Read it. Come back to the show. From this point forward, is spoiler territory, FYI. Yeah, yeah guys, seriously. Like, I, I cannot... I, I cannot Im- imperil you to the point where it's like, you want to read this before we talk about it, because, like, just the, the layers and everything that you would experience going through this book, if you know what's going to happen later on, it's, it's just not the same. Yeah. I, like, I've talked to people who have known how it ends, and they're like, nah, it was okay. It was, you know, whatever. It's just, you know, it's so good. Yeah. But uh, the one thing that I want to talk about is multiple times I've said that I'm going to sum up Planetary in a single sentence, and it'll blow your minds. That sentence is, Planetary is actually a chronicle of pop culture from 1900 to 1999, conveniently wrapped within a superhero story. I think so, yeah. 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 Uh, See, pop culture is a little wide, though, uh, because it's got, it's got the it's got the Godzilla movies, it's got the the ghost story with the the Chinese uh, or the Japanese Japanese or Chinese cop Chinese. you've got everything from Tarzan to Godzilla yeah. to Dracula and Sherlock Holmes, who are yeah. going out of style, and so they're removed from the story. Every single Tarzan, page of the this, <laughs> yeah, every single page yeah. of this the book shadow. talks about pop culture insofar as comic books from 1900 to 1999. And it is basically explaining to the reader without specifically calling out what was important at various time periods, because it'll actually say within the book what years they were. Mm-hmm. And as you read it, you gain an understanding. Like, someone could read these books who had not read a single comic book or anything along those lines, and then if you explain to them sort of the, chrono- uh, the chronological order of where things went from, like, the pulp novels to the Tencent Superman comics to, you know, what it is now, and they would understand and be like, oh, that totally makes sense. That is why this book is brilliant. That's one of the things that I really liked about the way he handled certain, um, like you said, like certain characters coming in and going out, like um, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dracula being previous century popular icons, I guess, that that were on their way out because they were no longer relevant. He kicks Dracula's dick off. Yeah. It's amazing. It'll take him a while to regrow his head. (laughs) He's going to be frozen for a while. I'll saw his head off a log before he thaws out. Um, And then what's interesting, too, is you have the, the next generation of kind of pop culture heroes when you have the the group that I can't remember the 
like uh, Doctor Brass and right. the, that's the representation the shadow of shadow analogy yeah. and, and all of all these golden age like radio and comic book heroes and all of them die in in this comic book in the fifties, which is when the silver which is, age started. Which is when the silver age started, and all of those were no longer relevant except Doc Brass, who's a science hero, who, which is all about the silver age. Silver age comics were specifically yeah. about people getting superpowers. From science, mm-hmm. it wasn't and magic. It wasn't a freak accident. The fifties, science. The four get power too, isn't it? Yep. Uh huh. So the four being the, of course, the the clearly obvious Fantastic Four analogy. Oh. Um, and and it is a fantastic analogy. Yeah, it, it's I, so good because what it is is it's taken and turning on its head the concept. Because if you look at the Marvel universe, the Fantastic Four really they are finding all this amazing stuff. And you know what? They've got their hover car. No one else does in the fucking Marvel <laughs> right. universe. They've got this fucking skyscraper in New York with all this super technology. You know what? People are still dying of cancer in the Marvel <laughs> they're universe. Not, they're not That's sharing it with anybody. They're not, you Fuck know, they got... Like, yeah. Um, so even to, to go on that tangent for a second, one thing that I found very fascinating was in the Ultimate storyline... Reed Richards becomes a villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fucking a direct draw from this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I mean... Oh God. I well, like not the... just a villain, the villain. He is the villain. I want to um, go back for just a sec, because I was I was on to something. Sorry. Because specifically, I wanted to talk about Axel Brass a little bit. Okay. Um, how... Um, if any, if anybody's... Yeah, if anybody is familiar with, with Doc, Savage. Doc Savage at all, like... You know, his he was popular for that period of time from like the twenties to the fifties, faded away. They tried to revive him, it didn't really, which is why and, and he kinda kinda hovered in this like weird like phantom zone yeah. of like limbo where he's not really nobody really knows the references, so they tried to modernize him and couldn't modernize him because he's so heavily rooted in in the time period in which he was yeah, created. Just didn't have the legs to carry him, and that's and the, and he spends the vast majority of this book crippled, which I love because it's basically like wow. Doc Savage is just he's back, but he's not really back. You know, like I I loved the that through line with Axel Brass and how he represented Doc Savage is kind of like yeah they kind of brought him back after a long absence but yeah he's not he's a shadow of his former self you know so um I'm going to jump back into it. First off, I'm going to apologize to everyone here and then the listeners because there are so many good things that I want to say about this book that I'm going to be all over the fucking place because it's just, like, literally, with most of the books that we've read, I'm like, well, I really like this or I really like this, you know, or maybe there's two or three things. Like, Six Gun, there's a lot of things that I like about it. I love everything about Planetary's writing. I think it is, like, the epitome of what comics can be because it's it's, what it's doing is it's subtly describing a narrative about something else and using the metaphor of superheroes. One of the best things about this book is, if you look at any generic superhero book, um, what it, it's about is you've got your superheroes and they need to defeat this villain. Planetary is not about the superheroes defeating a villain. That's what it seems like it is for a little it's what, while. It's what it like, seems oh, like. Four. That's, that's got to be the best. What Planetary is about, though, is Planetary is about Elijah Snow saving people, mm-hmm. which gives it this intangible quality of hope that I've never seen in another comic book. Guys, Andy is talking about hope. That is also one of the reasons why I like the representation of the four in this book and the way that they, like, about halfway through the book, you know, you find out that um, 
the four have erased parts of Elijah Snow's memory so that he's still around and he's still kind of doing stuff, but it's just not, it's not as effective and it's not as, you know, it's not as good as he could be, which is yet another metaphor for, like, the early mid-90s era of pop culture and comics where they were just, they were like, they were just hanging out. They were yeah. they were flexing. they were superficial they were for the, the audience. Superficial representations of things that had a lot more substance before. Hmm. So I want to go back to this um, on the concept of hope. Like the whole you know the climax, the ending of this book is not the fact that they defeat the four. The four are a fucking afterthought compared to the whole thing. Oh my God. Yeah. The whole point of this book is that Elijah Snow is saving Ambrose Pierce. He's, everything that he does within these 27 issues... Chase, and Ambrose Chase. Ambrose Chase? Ambrose, Ambrose Chase, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just excited. <laughs> uh, the whole point is, when you finish this book, you, you realize... Have, you guys who are... Turn it back on. That's why I turned it back on the first time. Okay. <laughs> you guys, you listeners out there, uh, uh, are, don't get the full image of, of Andy's... Uh, boner hiding posture right now. <laughs> There's no hiding. <laughs> the table that I'm sitting at is slightly lifted on my end. But um, the entire point of the book is that he is saving Ambrose Chase, and he's everything that sort of goes through this book leads to that. With when in any other single book, the entire book would lead up to the fact that he is defeating the villain. Defeating the villain, like I said, is a fucking afterthought. It's not even important. It's like, not a matter of defeating them, though. It's a matter of using them for the knowledge that they have so that he can still turn it around to save somebody with it. Yeah. I mean, it's like... The first time that I... Like, I read this book as single issues um, as it came out. And I got to volume... Thir- or issue 13, I believe, is when the jump... Like, there was the, the, the big gap. And I was just so pissed. Like, epically pissed. I'm like... What the fuck? Because Battle Chasers had also just sort of ended in that time. What happens during issue thirteen? Thirteen ends with. Um, I don't feel like I don't feel like thirteen was the jump because I feel like it got later than that before it before it fell off the planet. Let's see. Was thirteen the like I am the fourth man business? I, maybe fourth man is where it ends. I, like I don't remember what actual issue it is because I've read this I think eight times now. And remind me how many issues there are total? Twenty seven. There are twenty seven issues in total, and there's also the other side stuff that we won't talk about because that was just them making money, and I'm I'm okay with that. I guess Warren Ellis. I, I guess it, according to the Wikipedia article, it was other commitments by Cassidy and Warren Ellis's Warren Ellis an illness that Warren Ellis. Ellis. Warren Ellis. <laughs> An illness. Warren Illness. You're, you're just mispronouncing. I got Ambrose's last name just wrong. Yeah. I'd be the first to admit that. So you, tr- you try saying Warren Ellis's illness. Warren Ellis's illness. Yeah, you almost. You, you no, said was Ellis's no illness. Anyway. Um, so while you're looking that up, I'm going to keep talking about this. For no, a go second. ahead. Yeah, there's nothing to look up. I'm um, done. So, like. What the fuck were we talking about? There's so much shit here. You read it in single issues, and there was a break, and you were pissed. There there was a break, and I was pissed. And then I finished it, and I was like, no, worth it. Hands down worth it. You know what? I I can't complain. I don't have any complaints about this. Yeah, so it was 13 when they go to try to stop the ship from going into the, the fiction... Sending the fiction Yes, that is the issue. The issue where Ambrose dies is the issue where they are um, the fiction the fiction ship has returned and it was sent out with three people, came back with four, 
and they were trying, they found out that the original three crew members had been killed, and the fourth one was missing somewhere. Yeah, is the issue where the Hulk is, the Hulk origin story, where they talk about what happened to the Hulk, how he became super gamma radiated, and they put him in a hole for 30 years yeah. before he finally starved to death. Um... I'm going to keep talking about that. So let's see. Let's break down the analogies here. Obviously, the Fantastic Four are the four. Um, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Green Green Lantern, Lantern. um, they handle them because they're killed as soon as they show up by the four. Which which came into... Which came into Supreme, which went into Supreme as well. The other thing that I the other thing that I really liked about that particular issue was how they um, they uh, specifically with with Superman how it was it was actually the launch of Superman's ship that destroyed the home planet uh, yep. in this book. <laughs> it's like that uh, that was a that was a really well handled issue. I, I really enjoyed that, that one. Great. So the Island of Monster story is easily a. a Oh yeah, it's, it's Mothra and Godzilla, Godzilla parallel. Um, you've got the Shadow parallel, whose name I can't remember. I can't either. Uh, he's inconsequential to the story. To be completely Jack realistic. Carter is the Constantine. Constantine parallel. is Jack Carter, which is the, it's really more about the entire vertical line and how they evolved mm-hmm. from this supernatural Sandman esque world into the world of Transmetropolitan. Crazy, crazy what Druid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if, if as you you know, sort of read that, Luke and I were discussing this. I think before we started recording, you know, as that story starts out, the guy ends up. He starts out looking very much like John Constantine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but by the end of the story, when he's changed his identity, but he's still the same person, he's spider Jerusalem. Yep, um, Transmetropolitan. For those who are not aware of the series, is fucking amazing. Is that also another word? Is that Warner Bros. as well? That's also Warner Bros. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's why I brought it up. Um, I don't remember if that was recorded or not, so sorry. No, it wasn't recorded. That's there, I appreciate that there's a lot of little, almost throwaway, but not really considering the context references. Like, there's just a panel where there's homeless people that look remarkably like Dream and Death. Um, there's a homeless person who looks like Alan Moore. Well, there's the there's the like the funeral scene where there's like fucking swamp thing swamp and thing. a billion other it looks like, like it's been combined with poison ivy. On yeah. the on the bench, you've got uh, Dream and Death just hanging out smoking. Uh, it's like, oh my god, what are you? In some big crowd scene, there's totally um, the what's his butt owl guy from Watchmen. The owl, the owl was what yeah. he was called. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, so, I mean, you've got that covered. Night um, Owl. Night Owl. Was it Night Owl? It was Night Owl. Okay. Um, what else do you have in there? You've got Lone, Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've mm-hmm. got Sherlock Holmes. You've got Dracula. Tarzan. You've got Frankenstein. You've got Tarzan. You've got, it actually goes back to Tarzan a couple times. Yeah. 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 Um, I like how they're like, the, when they refer to him later, they're like, he just, he's, Blackstone was an ass. <laughs> the yeah. guy was a bastard. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm completely spacing out on what I've covered and what I haven't. What have I missed? What doesn't okay. it doesn't so just go. There's the giant ants. Remember, what we, remember the discussion about lists I'm to that we had? That movie. But them. 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 Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So the, 50s, the 50s supersized uh, Night of the Lemurs is the best. Because they also they reference um, Attack of the 50 Foot Woman in that yeah, one. Yeah. They all of a whole bunch of it's different like, 50s, yeah, sci-fi, 50s sci-fi, 50s sci-fi movies. Sci-fi. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of great because it's like. They went through the Avengers because they had Iron Man, they had Thor, they had. Some oh, other yeah. Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, like yeah. the dude one with the lightning bolt. Yeah. So <laughs> I just want to also go into for a second. What do you guys want to? Is there anything we want to talk about currently, or like I want to talk about what this influenced? Like what this book? No, go right ahead because yeah. I, that's yeah. that's to me like the references that influenced the book and the story about the about the you know it's it's 
love letter to 20th century, you know, culture, pop culture and geek culture, um, leads into it amazingly, this book having such wide ranging influences on the comic books that come after it in so many ways. Um, and that's what, that's what amazing it's cause it's like, it's almost like this, it's like this engineered pop culture bomb. It's kind of like, an awesome yeah. level of meta, actually, because like they're going into a fictional universe and like weird stuff is is happening. There's a very fucking out there issue where that's um, thirteen. Yeah. No, not no, thirteen. It's Twenty one. Yeah, where Elijah Snow goes to what's her face the shaman and she's like It Here. talks about DNA and all that stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. The, the panel that I'm thinking of specifically is him walking into a flower and yeah. it explodes right. in the universe. No, I, the one I was talking about was 13 when they were trying to stop the fiction arts and, and the one scientist who kills Chase says that, oh, you know, oh my God, I forgot about we're all about the, the fourth panel and it's a parallel universe that's paper thin. The fucking the Nick Fury analog. Oh, yeah. Stone. Eight Stone. Eight Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> He's well, yeah, like a central character to a certain right. extent, and, and I completely blanked on him. And they, they had Cer- uh, yeah. Serinko. They yeah. had Serinko. The, the whole art, the whole art for the, yeah. the cover was Serinko and, oh, and Fury. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was very much a. Um, that, that's what I liked about that issue was when they described that um, super spyish. That uh, the the world or the universe is not a, con- a construct of matter or energy; it's a construct of information, yep. yeah. and it exists on a two dimensional plane. And the three D world is nothing more than uh, a holographic construct yeah. that comes from that information. Which is yeah. like it's basically like they're talking. About they're this. talking about the fact that they're in a fucking comic book is what they're talking about. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I just want to see DC use the drummer to show up in something else at some point. He's a great character. Just you know, out of nowhere and like not even matter, and then leave. And be like, this is not what I was looking for. There's a gone. Shows up in planetary Batman. I will fucking. He shows up in planetary authority. I will cut you. Actually, planetary planetary authority was. Okay, Planetary Authority was okay. Plan- I I still think Planetary Batman was actually pretty good. It was it luckily because of the way that they constructed this universe, they could put planetary characters wherever the fuck they want. Batman is in exactly. the fucking authority already. Yeah, and then um, and then Planetary JLA was fucking terrible. Yeah, we, we, uh, don't re- readers, listeners, don't read it. Don't. In fact, you know you don't really have to go to any of those side stories. They're not worth it. Like, okay, so I. Let's, let's move. Just, I just want to talk about tangent for a second. Planetary and Authority started at the same time. I think yeah. those are the two best books that came out of the Wildstorm line at first. But then you've also and got, they're more directly linked because Jenny Sparks is yeah. referenced Sparks. in yeah. Planetary. So the other one is Sleeper, which is Ed Brubaker's really breakout book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, those three books were amazing from Wildstorm. I don't know what the fuck happened, but then like everything just went to shit. DC took over. I know, but it's just... People don't like good things. And it hurts me. <laughs> it really, nice really, it pains me. Um, so to go back to talking about Planetary, because I fucking cannot talk about this book enough. Um, so one of my favorite scenes, actually, in the book is when they realize that the Nick Fury par- uh, parallel is the, the leak. He's the one who knows, who's been informing the four about what's been going on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so they set up this fake, you know, they're going to take him down. And in the process, they beat the shit out of him, take his hand off, and, you know, cut him open and take, take the fucking, like, chest bomb that he has out. And his communication device that was sewn into his head. Yeah. So he's in the hospital, and he is just awful. 
fucked up. <laughs> He's like, well, I'm glad you guys managed to pull that one off. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you guys managed to save me because, you know, the four probably would have hurt me. <laughs> like, I, it was, yeah, that was a really good line. Um, oh my God, what's the Johnny Blaze parallel's name? Um, Willie Leather? Leather. Leather, Leather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his first name. I really like that character. I don't know why. Maybe it's the facial he's star. he's a great bastard. Um, he is just a super bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, so... I do, I do, on a slightly other tangent, I do like how they, um, how in this particular universe, um, because they did influence each other in the real world, too, how uh, their his version of the Lone Ranger is lack, like actually directly related to the Shadow later on. Yeah. And it's like, sorry. Uh, every, There's so no, many tangents you can go off talking like, about just the little dude, references no, and shit like, in this book. That's the problem I have. Like, literally, I'm sort of in the same spot that, um, where my brain wants to go in seven, like, every second that I'm saying a word, my brain wants to go in seven different directions, and I'm trying on, you know, on the fly to figure out which way I'm going to go. I Do, let Anne have her direction. Um, it, and it's just, it's, just a brief analogy. So there's this. Maybe we should all just come and train on one direction. Uh, no, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a throwaway moment, and I'm sorry in advance for referencing this, Andy, but there's a throwaway moment in the Sandman series where, as a gift, some being is giving Sandman a pocket universe. Um, I, I think it's actually either Sandman's giving Odin a pocket universe or Odin's giving Sandman the pocket universe. Whatever. The Sandman version of the Norse gods yeah, yeah, yeah. It, are, are interacting with like this bubble that contains the Marvel version of the Norse gods, and they're like, "This is like a representation facet of ourselves." Weren't we? Wasn't that in the book that we read for the show? It was. It yeah, was. yeah, yeah, okay. It's in season uh, season miss. Season of miss number four. Yeah. Point being, I feel like with this, I'm not sure who's the bubble and who's the outer world, but like that's what's going on with all comics from the 20th century and this book. <laughs> and uh, that's that's what makes it fantastic because there are so many tangents that you can just be like, Argh. yeah, yeah, it's definitely an onion where you can just get the onion or the layers off of the layers. So, uh, one of the things that I wanted to address uh, because we've been sitting here talking about all of these different references and things that um, the book has in it, talking constantly about how. Um, you know, it's it's a encapsulates the whole 20th century of pop culture and and nerd culture all in you know 27 issues of the book. One of the things that we haven't said, and that you know, you're you're effusive about how awesome you think this book is, but I think one of the things that needs to be said is how how elegantly it's handled. So, like, on a side note, real quick, I kind of don't want to actually talk about the real story of the book because if you you know have ignored our warnings to this point about you know not reading the book <laughs> beforehand. Fuck you. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that could be said, even for, like, idiotic spoilers ignorers, uh, is that at first when you're reading through it, it seems like you got this superhero team that are going on semi-episodic, more or less d- disconnected... Compartmentalized. Adventures, you know? Like, a particular setting, a particular thing, it wraps up within the issue... Or so it seems. Mm-hmm. But then as you go along, you realize that more and more of these threads are connected, and by the end, you're just like, well, fuck. Pretty yeah. much every issue has an impact here. What's Jakita's last name? Wagner. Jakita Wagner, Elijah Snow, Ambrose Chase, and the drummer. <laughs> Little drummer boy. Whatever. <laughs> he introduces Fight. himself as first name the, last name drummer, later. Yeah. Fight the four. 
that's all you need to know about this book. Yeah. Well, what I mean by one of the things that I think is so elegant about it, and it ties into what you were saying, is how Warren Ellis created it, um, created this kind of, you know, what do they call themselves? Uh, archaeologists. Uh, archaeologists uh, of mystery. Archaeologists yeah. of mystery. Uh, they, he created this team that allowed him to seamlessly jump from story to story to story, and you never think you never think anything of it. There's never a point where you're like. You never wonder what the fuck's going on. You get to the next issue and you're like, oh, cool, they're going to this other thing. And then... They're doing League of Extraordinary. Yeah. And as things start to tie together, you start to... um, You start to see how not only awesome it is that he put all these things in there, and you know, know, he knew from the beginning that there were things that he was going to tie in later, but how the creation of that team was, was such a just a perfect way for him to tell this story and to yeah. be able to show you all these different parts of what he was trying to get at without um, without it seeming artificial, you know? I really appreciate his character design, and I want to go off on that just yeah. for a minute, for, like, his core team. Um, I know in the Captain Marvel episode, for instance, we talked about, like, representation and stereotypes, and I really like his core team because they buck a lot of stereotypes. Um mm-hmm. Especially for the time and place that they were in. Yeah. Um, for 2000, there's a biracial female who's the tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's the sort of like in the back tech person who is male. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas oftentimes, if there's going to be like a smurfette, it's going to be the in the back tech person. Um, you have a hero that's going through the whole thing who is not young nor. Like it's he doesn't have that much going in terms of sex appeal. Like he's just uh-huh. like he's what? he's a dude. Come on, he's super white. Uh, Elijah Snow is pretty much an albino who is su- he is as white as he is so white that things get cold around him, <laughs> and he is very Come much ice cold. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> uh, and much like the real world, he's the guy that saves everybody else. Yeah. Oh god, that, that one line in like the second or third issue where it's like, oh yeah, now we're in this film because the black guy died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me of an amazing yes. story. So when Joel was first reading this, um, I lent him the volumes independently. And he finished volume one, he's like, yep, the black guy died, of course. I'm like, you just wait. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Because I was loving everything about it, and then it was like, oh, hey, there's a black character. All right, great. Yeah, he's in the episode. I don't know exactly why he's in. Oh, he's, he's in the lead position. That's great. And, oh, he's dead. He gets killed by the old white guy. <laughs> and then disappears. Like he never existed. Outstanding! Yeah, Joel was so pissed when he <laughs> was. <laughs> what the fuck is this? And I'm sitting there like a fucking just like thirties villain twirling my mustache, just no. waiting in anticipation, just be like, uh, yes. I do have to say, and, I, and I'm going to say this because um, I know that we all love this book. I love this book. I think it's amazing. I do think that the last few issues it falters. Before Ambrose, the so let's separate. Let's say issues twenty four through twenty six. I'm literally which is talking, before, and then there's the Ambrose issue, which is twenty seven. Okay, well, I'm actually talking like the last two or three issues, including the yeah, um, because I I understand that the 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 killing of the four, the defeating of the four, was never really the point, um, and 
However, I do feel to some degree like the resolution of getting rid of the last two of the four, um, it felt it felt rushed. Uh, it to me, it just felt like um, it felt rushed. But it was also the four at that point were a MacGuffin. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, I. There was something about it that just didn't click with me. Like, I didn't mind how they did it, but I there's part of me that almost feels like um, Suskind, whatever her first name is, I don't remember, Kim. The, the Kim Suskind, should have... It felt like originally maybe there was supposed to be... Uh, she was supposed to have her own thing, because Elijah Snow... Elijah Snow kind of goes through and, and defeats each of the one... each of the four individually, until that point where... She just kind of shows up. She now, yeah, she yeah, she had been already been defeated because what happened when you know Elijah got the memory blocks in place right before that was she dropped into the place. And he's like, "Oh, fuck you! Have fun without your glasses because you can't see without yeah. them." Yeah, and and to some degree, maybe that's uh, Ellis's commentary on how useless Invisible Girl actually is in the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but really. The last issue, I, I do think, I, I enjoyed the premise of it. I did not, I didn't enjoy the execution very much because it did feel, it did feel a little bit like Warren Ellis, um, going, look how smart I am, and oh, just I, filling I it with. with I'm sorry, I disagree completely with that. And filling like, it so with the, the difference between reading it as, um, did you read it as singles or not? No, I read it as trades. Okay. So, I mean, Dude, I didn't even read it till after we started doing this show. Remember, you're the one that introduced well, me to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... It's, I, I just wanted to be sure before I, you know, made an assumption. Um, the difference between reading it as a trade and reading it as single issues is when you read that last issue and you didn't know what was going to happen, you're like, okay, the four have been defeated. I mean, they're dead. What the hell else? You know what? Earth has been saved from this parallel universe. What the fuck are they going to do? And you start reading this issue and you're like, they're trying to save Ambrose? What? Oh, that made sense. I saw that coming that they were going to try to They mentioned that earlier. The, like, they, like they, they, he they, has he, a purpose aside from defeating the four. He knows that off of his harmonic But party. The last, like, like, five issues are all about him saving Ambrose. Because I, that's where he I understand finally that. decides that he's going to use the four for their information. But, so but you got to think of this as reading this as single issues in the context of uh-huh. 2007, where it's just superheroes punching superheroes in the dick. You know, every other book is, you know, it's all about... Dick you know, punching monthly. It's like who's who is the surprise villain? Who is the actual big bad? To use a Buffy term, yeah. Um, and the, the big bad is saving your friend, and then you're just like, what the fuck? Positive ending. And then it all of a sudden the entire book just clicks, and you're like, well, this book was never about beating the like you know it spells it out beforehand, but there's a difference between you know like you read it, but there's a difference between you reading it and you understanding it. Like when you finish this book, you're like. I'm okay. going to go on a pretentious nerd rant. Pretentious nerd rant right now. So here's the deal, and the reason why I think Ellis might have dressed Ambrose in the same white suit that Elijah wears. Um, aside from tangent that Elijah is the name of the prophet that spells out the apocalypse, which I think is interesting. Um, they're kind of each other's shadow in a way. Uh Originally, like pre-memory blocks and stuff, right? Uh, Elijah's behind the scenes. Ambrose is out in the field, kicking ass and chewing gum. Um, and and they switch. And if you think about this in sort of like a well, the boiled down essence of the hero's journey is life, and then death, and then resurrection, which is very literally what happens to Ambrose. Yep. And if you consider Ambrose as Elijah's shadow, sort of, just because like they end up switching roles. 
it's sort of about them as a collective story unit, mm-hmm. basically like saving your own shadow, which I think is a very cool plot. And they come full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- wait, so wait, hold on a second. Thank you, Anne. Because the whole thing is, when I was reading this book, I was, I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's a great story. Hey, look, there's Godzilla. Hey, look, there's giant ants. Hey, look, there's Thor, and the and the four are really evil. But I didn't know what the whole purpose of the whole thing was because the through the whole book you knew that he he was doing this. Everything was planned out for a reason. When I got to the end, I couldn't really get the. I missed the reason why. And and kind of spelled it out for me. That that's that's why it all comes full circle, and Snow you know passes on to Ambrose and saves him. Because I I didn't really understand that. No, uh, thank you very much. That was a big question mark. And coming back around to you, Andy, um, I agree with everything you said, and that's why I said I love the idea. I love the. Um, I love everything about uh, the purpose behind the story, and you know the the resolution is a good one. Nuts and bolts execution on that final issue, I didn't like. Okay, that's and right. that's what I mean by it. Like, I love the way it ends, and I love the per- purpose behind it. And maybe it's solely the dialogue that I don't like, because in the rest of the book, they don't. He doesn't really spend a hell of a lot of time explaining shit. Like, he gives you nuggets to make you understand enough that the story makes works. sense to you and works. Mm. He doesn't he doesn't Trek explain it, right? Like, he, he doesn't sit there and just like, here's all the little nuts and bolts of every little thod goddamn thing. And, here. and what I really love about that earlier in the book is the fact that Elijah is actually... Um, becomes a vehicle for not having to explain that stuff because he will specifically tell people to shut the fuck up when they're over-explaining and be like, I don't care, just do it. Um, But he doesn't in the end. In the end, it's like, he kind of says, I don't care, but then Drummer just fucking talks and just talks and talks and talks and never stops. He hadn't really talked about anything of any substance Aside yeah. from occasional snippets throughout the entire book. And the only thing in that last issue that Drummer says that is of substance was specifically the point about how the time travel device that they were creating was going to disrupt the time stop bubble that Ambrose created because it was going to change the conditions on which the bubble was built. Yep. And that's all you needed to know, but there's a bunch of other bullshit around it that doesn't need to be there. And that's my only problem. And I'm just getting that out because I think it's I think it is it was problematic for me. It's not necessarily a problem with the book. It's just the way that Ellis wanted to end it. And I still think that the storyline is phenomenal and the ending is amazing. I just thought that that one issue was a stumble from what had come before it. Okay, fair enough. But, did you just... Oh, I thought you just turned my mic off. No, no, no. No, I just... Changed my, <laughs> changed my grip. Go ahead. So, um... I... That's... That's all I have to say about the book, really. I know Andy's got Andy's got some kind of rant that he I, wants I to just, go on. So I, if you I guys want ramble. your uh, 
If you guys want anything else to say before Andy goes on his rant, you better okay. do speak so, now or forever hold your This peace. is what I'll say. And 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 kind of I kind of went over that before and explained it. But before when I was reading through the book, it was kind of oh hey, it's a nice little romp of uh, here's Godzilla, and then oh here's London and in English comic books as it is, and you know hey, Spider Jerusalem. Before I even knew who Spider Jerusalem was, because mm-hmm. I read Transmet Met after I read this. And it was just going through different vignettes of, okay, this is one part of comic book history, this is another part. And then all of a sudden it starts, it goes into the fiction knots and then gets all completely meta and then ends with the black guy dying. It's like, what the fuck? Why? And then it goes into something completely different where it goes into the more kind of golden age, or not golden age, but silver age. What age are we in? Modern age? Modern age. Post- yeah, yeah. Postmodern, actually. It goes through yeah, Avengers. It's the Grant Morrison age. But. <laughs> it, goes, it goes through DC, this DC heroes, the triad. And, and then it also goes through Marvel. And then it brings in the, the four who are, are the guys that they're evil. And they're the whole reason for all of this. And then they meticulously go through and take out each single one. Which I really enjoyed how they took down the thing because they had this whole big machination and this whole other world where they just had to take the thing down, which I thought was fantastic. It was the fucking whale ship from Star Trek Four. Yeah. So, jump in there real quick. One of the things I really appreciate most is like the two most physical members of the team. They don't kill. They don't physically defeat to a certain extent. Uh-huh. Leather. They you know yes they capture him and they torture him and there's a brilliant line about he'll be suit uh, for surgery. He'll be uh, adjusted to society after some psychosurgery and some eye repair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, with the guy that they, they cannot defeat, what they do is they just send him off in orbit. We don't have to kill him. We just remove him from the equation. Yeah. yeah. Lock him off in an alien spaceship that's headed out of the solar system yep. and be like, the, yeah. bye. Yeah, later. And, and, and that's the thing about Mr. Fantastic is because through the Fantastic Four, he always solves stuff with some ex machina. Yeah. He always like, hey, you know, I can do whatever. And then, So how does he get defeated in this book? Yeah. Ex Machina. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something from earlier on. It's like, yeah, we just took you to a location that. where, you know, there was a, a giant ship. And we just, oh, we just dropped hey, it. this big pit. My bad. No. Yeah, there's a, there's a secret base that none of you knew about, and there's these secret creatures that none of you knew about, and we're sending them to this alien spacecraft that no one knew, knew about until this issue, and guess who's going to show up for this issue? The one guy that we can't kill is going to show up, and we're going to throw him into this ship that no one knew about, using the things that we got from our secret base that no one knew about until this issue, and you know what's going to happen? He's going to get out of, sent out of the solar system, and none of this stuff's ever going to show up again. <laughs> it really did. It was... I do have to say that I'm so happy that you guys all get it. Yeah. Like, it yeah. just, it, like, so the first time, like, you know, because I read this um, actually long before I knew any of you, and I read this and I'm like, I think this is how it's supposed to be. I mean, this is what makes sense to me, but this is fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but like hearing you guys pretty much reiterate what I was validate thinking. You're crazy. <laughs> I don't know about inval- or validate, but, you know, close enough. Okay, so um, I'm going to close this out with saying that really. To the greater part, I'm going to say 90% planetary, 10% the authority. One of the things that they did that is so important was until these books came out, superhero comics in general had gotten to a point where it was all about posing these characters dynamically, and they weren't doing anything. I mean, they were just, you know, they were there to look cool. Planetary and the authority dealt with, A, ramifications of actions, consequences, and, you know, what the effects of these things are. 
And what that led to was it leads to books that we get to enjoy now where it's not all about superheroes defeating supervillains. It's superheroes solving problems. Whether that problem is defeating a supervillain, saving something like that, it really brought this whole medium back from the brink of extinction. Because if we would have had another ten years of can the X-Men defeat Magneto again for the 37th time, no one would care anymore. What this really does for the industry as a whole is it opens up a ton of genres, independent publishers, new ideas, and really it just brings the medium up to the point that it's at now. I've said before that um, this is the best book. I think I might have mistaken and said it's my favorite book. It's not actually my favorite book. There's a lot of things I really enjoy about it, but Casanova is my favorite book. Possibly Preacher. It's one of those two. <laughs> I think what this does is that as far as literature goes, um, Planetary really is the pinnacle of what this is capable of at the time being. Uh, five years from now, someone's going to surpass this. Possibly. It, 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 you know, it's, you know, there is no limit to how good comics can be. And I use this book a lot of times to get people who are sort of interested in comic books and reading other comic books. Because most people have the assumption that comics are for kids and they are completely worthless. You know, it's all about a guy in a cape fighting a villain in a cape with no point. This is the example that I use. And well, I think I this is a really literary... God damn it! <laughs> Go. I, I'm ruined. I, I, was, I was like... Two seconds from finishing, and I'm just like, no! Uh, this is the example that I use. <laughs> There's high fives going around. <laughs> and Luke just made the boner going out of your gesture. Fuck. I, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> wow, it is, amazing. it is amazing how one simple statement to try and actually have a discussion with you about this just destroys your brain. What were you going to say, Anne? I was going to say that at this point in time, like, at the point in time when Planetary came out, I think there was just the, like, comics are for kids a completely worthless perception. At this point in time, there's two things. There's either the comics are for kids are completely worthless, or, or comics are for memoir, and you have to write in black and white, and it has to be the same artist as writer, and it has to be published by Pantheon. Uh, I don't necessarily think... That I, I actually think now um, I, I one of think the, it's a little bigger than that. But. I think now one of the big perceptions of comics is they're un, it's not that they're for kids; it's that they're for geeks and they're unapproachable. So it I is. Mean, it, there's a, there's it a literary is, thing that's happening, but it, 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 yeah. it but the superhero genre is not included in that literary thing, and it yeah. should be because it's incredibly profound. And Planetary is a good example of that. And I think anyone who like goes out and reads Mouse and Persepolis should also fucking read Planetary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so we said it. In, we said it earlier in the show already. It's four solid buys. Um, everybody here loves it. Andy thinks it's the best comic that has ever been made, um, regardless of whether it's his favorite or not. It definitely set the bar. And it right. it it is it is influenced by all that came before and has influenced much that has come after. Um, it is absolutely worthy of our episode fifty, and I think everybody everybody out there needs to needs to go. You need to go fucking pick it up in whatever form you can find it. It's the um, soft cover trades are real easy to find. You can get those anywhere. They're available on Amazon. Most comic shops will have them in, in stock. 
the Absolute Editions are available, but kind of expensive. Um, uh, the, you can get second printings at a relatively decent okay. price. Yeah. Um, the first printings sold out the day they came out, yeah, unless yeah. you had ordered them through previews. Um, I mean, honestly, the book is worth getting in that format. Absolutely. Regardless of the fact if it's a first no or second printing. Yeah. Uh, it is, the oversized pages really accentuate John Cassidy's art, plus the fact that you have them in a slip sleeve um, really makes it a nice addition to any like collection of comics. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's a coffee table. Yeah, it's it's the absolute editions are amazing. Uh, the edition that I actually have are they're the same as the soft cover trades. It's four books, and, except they are hard covers. So they are they're standard size. They're not oversized like the absolute editions, and they're hard cover trades. I love them because I personally am the kind of guy who I like having my I like having my comics on a shelf, um, and absolute editions don't fit on my shelves, um, but. Any of those ways, like the cheapest way, clearly is going to be the softcover trades. Uh, the hardcovers that I have are actually really hard to find um, anymore, and less so than the the absolute editions. And frankly, if you're buying hardcover trades and you give a rat's ass about whether it's a first or second printing, you're doing it wrong. Um, I will so actually. This is the one book that I'm like, I don't give a shit what printing it is. Yeah, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> That I, I You've gotten lucky with, with quite a few hardcovers because you have the first edition, or the first fucking Umbrella Academy hardcover yep. slip sleeved, and that one pisses me off because there's I can get the second Umbrella Academy anywhere. I can get the I can get the second hardcover all damn day. I can get it from fucking cover price on Amazon, and you cannot find the first one. And I wish they would fucking realize that if they reprinted the first one, I'd buy the second one too. <laughs> so I also have this the same blue print. Yep. Only one. I, I got nothing, man. I, I'm. I. Yeah, I want to kick you in. So the, I want to kick you in the balls and honestly, steal it from me. Is what. what I'd really like to end this with just saying that I don't realize how gifted I was. I fucking comic book silver spoon in my mouth because when I started reading this, no, Andy's like, here, have the absolute edition. Read this in HD, big screen. <laughs> like, oh, that's kind of great. I didn't really know what I had. It was. It's kind of good. Yeah. Pearls before swine. So I have no idea what we're doing for the next show because I completely forgot. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. Uh, I'm gonna find it somewhere and actually uh, make sure that we get you uh, advance notice of what we're doing for episode 51 and 52 and probably 53. Uh, this has been episode 50 though. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to be a part of the show, you can contact us on Twitter at Trade Secrets Pod. You can contact us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast. You can email us at trade secrets at geekerific.com. We are all individually on Twitter. Andy's on there at Mathtastrophe. Anne is at Anne Bean Tweets. Uh, Joel is at Superfly. I am at uh, Geek Elite. Eddie, who unfortunately is missing for this episode, should be back for the next one, is at Samba Black with no C. This has been two and a half years of, of our lives. Pretty awesome on this show. I got MFA in the Actually, I want to jump in real quick before we do the sign-offs. I got a new job and then quit that new job <laughs> in the time that we've <laughs> done this show. <laughs> I moved. Joel bought a house. Got a puppy. Uh, oh, I've had a house for a while. No, I, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I'm surprised that we haven't killed each other or had a Beatles like breakdown <laughs> no Yoko's in this um, so real quick, really. I, just, I want to say uh, that makes sense thanks real quick to Snicker 
Ed, and Steven, um, two of our listeners. I and appreciate Ken it. Ken Dolby. Ken Dolby. Oh, God. DVL. Oh, my God. How, why did I forget that? Uh, what are you thinking? I, Jesus. I'm oh, dr- Christ. I'm drunk. What do you want? <laughs> hey, uh. All right. Well, uh, this has been episode 50 of the Trade Seekers Podcast. Thank you, Andy, for loaning us our, your apartment for the night. No problem. And thanks to the listeners again. Thank you, Anne, for the trials and tribulations today to get this fucking thing to happen. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, Joel, thank you for coming up and recording. Maybe I am Luke. This is Trade Secrets, and we are out. Get harder, make it better. Do it faster, makes us stronger. All that